Yeah. So it's a lot of it has to do with um, where do we really want to target a lot of the care um, with mental health. A lot of the focus, if we look at funding wise as well, is most of it is going towards a reactive approach of, um, you know, dealing with mental health afterwards, you know, diagnosis happens, um, a lot of, uh, X, Y, Z, like whether it comes to medication, whether it comes to therapy and, and, and they try to fix the problem after the problem has already occurred. So what I'm trying to say is where, where the huge gap is actually is realizing that if we physically want to go to the gym and be really healthy and have that in our routine, why isn't mental health part of that as well? Welcome. Hey, Rev, nice to have you on the show. Nice to be here, finally. Yeah, we were joking before we started about how similar our names were, and uh, and uh, that's that's always keeping interesting. So uh, I was excited to have you. I'm excited to have you on the show today because uh, you're the founder of uh, Feel Talk, a, a peer-to-peer uh, mental health group, uh, if you will, and um, and uh, I think that's a really interesting concept, and it's very timely in the situation we're in. So I want to dive right into that. Uh, can you give a quick bio of uh, who you are and what you're trying to accomplish? Sure. So um, I feel like I'm so used to talking about this in a shorter span, but I'm really glad to finally have a platform that I can actually really explain what happened. Um, It's very difficult to talk about this stuff like in a short, you know, little spurt. But yeah, I essentially had, um, you know, grew up in a traditional uh, family setting, a lot of doctors, lawyers, the engineers in the family, um, had a real passion for trying to really help out, um, when it comes to, uh, other human beings from a beginning. So in that sense, I connected to medicine, I think from the start. And, um, as I continued on my path, like always knowing and always thinking that this is my path and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I realized, um, in my medical training when I was in residency actually in Houston, I experienced myself some like uh, pretty intense uh, mental health struggles at that point where I needed to take a big step back from um, from life at that point. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about a really, you know, uh, upbeat, uh, extremely positive, always the caretaker type of person being able, and then also being a part of such a a high intensity career, you know, you're thinking like, uh, you know, uh, nothing's really going to happen here, but uh, clearly uh, it did. And it like anything can happen in that sense. So mental health is, you know, um, can affect anyone. And from there, I had to take a really big step back and, um, you know, came back to Canada and kind of really went through recovery processes and during that stage actually I felt like there was a lot that I wish I had but um you know I I just didn't um and because I had some you know traditional training as well like there were certain things that I knew that uh I should do to to make the entire process a little bit better when it comes to recovery. But then there was also like a lot of the traditional things that I tried that I felt like just wasn't enough, you know, Mm -hmm. um, during that time. But 
you know, like I was able to kind of, uh, get myself out of there and, um, COVID hit. And then it was like, you know, I was helping at a physician actually frontline during COVID. And, um, I realized that, you know, the patient encounter started getting longer and longer. And, you know, like traditionally, a lot of the people were, um, uh, showing symptoms of, uh, not naming anyone, but like, uh, like a lot of the population was showing symptoms of depression or symptoms mm-hmm. of anxiety, like traditional symptoms. Right. But it was a really non-traditional environment. We're talking about a global pandemic. We're talking about something that happens once in what, a hundred years. So now we're faced in this kind of, you know, higher technological, like life, area when it comes to society and being Mm -hmm. faced with some of those same issues that might have happened prior but you know in in a new newer environment and I I really wanted to kind of do something about it um especially since I went through actively the system myself you know Mm -hmm. and I'm talking about like the internal like you know being being the provider side of things and then also being the patient and then realizing all the gaps in between that, you know, might really need some some help. So uh, you give us a, a few things to break down there. And um, I think, you know, we'll get to get to the different components, but to going to this um, idea about how COVID has changed things, right, and, and uh, facilitated that. So what has changed, especially when it comes to mental health and things like people are at home, people are, you know, uh, with their jobs. Um, you know, we are hearing all these reports, right? Uh, some people are going through really hard times. Other people are doing fantastic, uh, making making the best movements and, and you know, making uh, moving out of um, small areas into, into, into larger homes, uh, making strides at work. Some people working more more than ever, you know, working two jobs or working as freelancers and making extra money and like there's a vast uh, amount of movement in, in both ways, right? Where some people are losing out, some people are gaining, right? Uh, what, somebody has, uh, there's a podcast I talk, listened to and they're talking about how winners and losers, like the, the distance between winners and losers is opening up, right? So people are winning are winning really big and spectacular way. People are losing are losing in a really spectacular way. And uh, we're not necessarily seeing that because we're all stuck at home, right? I mean, I don't remember the last time I've seen a homeless person because I haven't been around the city, right? So, Taking all these changes into effects, like what what stands out to you the most? Yeah, so I think it's really, um, first of all, um, overall, it's really important to understand what the definition of winning and losing might be, right? And in, in this sense, I think it, you know, is very career oriented, which totally, you know, makes sense, um, which is a huge part of a, a lot of people's lives. But what we what we've been noticing is that what COVID basically um, did was uh, we're used to running our rat race, essentially, you know, we're used to running our um, our life in such a way that we tend as humans to pile on more than sometimes is needed and kind of run and run and run. And COVID was like a break to a lot of those situations. So what ended up happening was a lot of the people which were who had successful jobs and a lot of the people that didn't have successful jobs, it didn't really matter at home. They were isolated from human contact 
and mm. they had a lot of time to deal with their own thoughts that they probably brushed under the rug most of most of their life. So we had a bunch of people and uh, mental health issues that were already addressed prior to COVID, which it was already a crisis. Like for the last like 20, 30 years, it's already been rising. And then COVID happened and it was like all these individuals that might not have dealt with some of those things in their life. It was like a break and a point where um, a lot of them had to. And those those specific um, situations, uh, when it comes to reflecting on your life, led to either positive things or things that might have been just a bit more difficult. Hmm. So let's, let's talk about things like, um, but how family dynamics have shifted and how, you know, more than just work, like, you know, how things have been. Uh, a lot of people now are trapped at home with their families uh, in the cycle, right? Uh, which is not necessarily a good thing always. As much as, uh, you know, people have good relationships, there are, there are bad relationships, but also uh, too much of a good thing also turns into a bad thing. Uh, you know, people's tensions uh, get on fire when you're always in front of each other and same things kind of navigate. And one of the things I'm like conscious about is like, especially for like young kids, you know, like when I was, when I was like, a, like a teenager, even younger, like, wanted to get out of the house and like wanting to do my own thing was one of the main things. And university, what it gave us was this out, right? I was like at university, like, like 12 hours, 16 hours a day sometimes, you know, staying overnight to do the study, coming, coming back. Like, you know, like, you know, you, you lived and worked, you lived there even as a, as a commuter. I, I almost lived there. <clears throat> and others got experience of that, of living out. Now things are all kind of shifting, like the way we live, work, learn, uh, everything's in, a, in this rapid kind of pit, right? Like nobody knows when high school is going to go back to school or elementary school is going to go back to school. U- university just testing the waters of opening up for the, uh, for the new semester. Uh, you know, but like part of like growing up was the newness of things, of getting away from what you grew up with and going into like uh, new surroundings, new environments of, of learning things, right? Of traveling, of getting out. People are kind of stuck in, in a cocoon, Um you know, how, how have you felt and how have uh, your peers felt? Like, uh, what is it? What is your thoughts been? Yeah, so um, I guess I'll start with um, me, myself, and then we can move into the peers. But essentially, yeah, that's exactly, you know, how it was uh, for me. So I did medicine in a way that was super fast track. So I like went abroad. Um, I was in the States for, you know, I lived in New York. Um, I was in um, Atlanta, um, a little bit in Cali and also and then a residency in Houston. So we're talking about like extreme levels of, um, I would say, independence and also uh, that used to being away. So for me personally, but my, my situation is completely different. Um, I, I felt like I needed that family support, um, you know, in my situation specifically, where I needed to be around people that cared and that knew me and, you know, could provide that support in the time of need. Um, and as I transitioned out of that, I mean, like, it's it's definitely been... Um, it's been, uh, you know, readjustment in like everyday life, like compared to before and being used to being out all the time. But, um, 
but yeah, my focus has really just gone on to, on to field talk. And I feel like, um, me putting energy into this has been, um, you know, an amazing experience for myself and, um, rewarding in the sense of, you know, even though we're new, but it, it was during a time that would like the social presence that we've had even so far, I feel like we do get responses of it being helpful. Um, now when, when it comes to some of the peers and stuff that we talk to, so it's, uh, you know, when it comes to younger kids are definitely being like super affected. I have some family members that are a little bit on the younger side and I have like, you know, tried to have some interaction with them and they've always been like very technology heavy compared to, you know, like our generation is, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm saying that compared to the, you know, older generation. So like, I just feel like a lot of them are just diving into that more, but also kind of. Uh, like the sense that I get from them is like, they just don't care about some of that schoolwork stuff as much as, (laughs) as much as maybe they would have if they were in that in-person environment. Um, That's the feedback that I got from the younger crowd where they just don't have that one-to-one teacher interaction. So their learning is being a little bit, um, not a little bit, but a lot affected. Um, And Mm -hmm. then in general with some of the universities that we're talking to and trying to collaborate with, um yeah it's you know younger individuals that need to get away and now are stuck at home and are trying to do like pretty you know stressful things whether it comes to any you know career choice that they're going into it's just it's like a a bubble about to burst is what I can explain it it's um been very difficult I mean overall during COVID-19 there is like proper statistics that show that domestic violence has gone up um you know because of everyone being stuck at home and having those um interactions um when it comes to spouses I mean like divorce rates have gone up unfortunately because of this so um yeah there's a lot of like social implications of everyone being stuck at home whether they're young or whether they're old Mm. so let's talk about like how uh, your tool can help people a peer-to-peer kind of support uh factor how is that different than uh, having a license uh, talking to a licensed therapist and uh um, you know, one of the, one of the main things, of course, is cost, right? Yeah. In Canada, we're used to like universal healthcare, but so we're not used to paying for health. Uh, but so the idea of paying for mental health seems like a luxury. So that's, that's a number of things that stands out to me, but to let's talk about like, um, like the actual peer to peerness of it. Um, how does that work? <clears throat> yeah. So it's a lot of it has to do with, um, where do we really want to target a lot of the care um, with mental health. A lot of the focus, if we look at funding wise as well, is most of it is going towards a reactive approach of um, you know dealing with mental health afterwards. You know, diagnosis happens. Um, a lot of uh, X Y Z, like whether it comes to medication, whether it comes to therapy, and and, and they try to fix the problem after the problem has already occurred. So what? I'm trying to say is where, where the huge gap is actually is realizing that if we physically want to go to the gym and be really healthy and have that in our routine, why mm-hmm. isn't mental health part of that as well? Like mental health, we're talking about the brain, the thing that, you know, we, it is the most important yet we know the least about. 
Um, and we're talking about a situation where there's so much stigma associated with it, along with like even getting help. Like if you, if you have a stomach ache, you, you can go to the doctor and be like, Hey, I need some medication. It's all good. You can tell your peers and be like, yeah, my stomach was hurting. I I'm going to take some medication and I'll be good in a day or two with mental health. It's like a hush hush from the beginning till the end. Like no one really wants to. Um, talk about it, um, get help, getting help is hard. So it's, it's almost like we really want to focus on like destigmatizing it. And that's why this non-clinical approach is what I wanted to go forward with. Destigmatizing happens when, um, you know, you're not going to be put into a session where you have a diagnosis tagged onto it. Um, it is an open forum, meaning that it doesn't matter in that, at that point, if you have anxiety, if you have depression, if you have bipolar, if you have anything else, it just matters about who you are and what you want to talk about. And if that's the weather, right? Like it shouldn't be, um, you know, something that, you know, you shouldn't have access to overall. And, um, a lot of times people don't get help because of it. Um, a lot of times what ends up happening is, um, it doesn't get like, like, for example, like as a, as a physician, right. A lot of the times like you do know if someone needs a little bit extra help, mm -hmm. right. And what's that going to, what, what is that going to do? That's going to extend our, our patient visit a little bit because that's that extra counseling that you put into the session right now. Um, like during COVID and, you know, just the pressures of being a physician, which I don't disregard. Um, there's only so much you can do at that mm -hmm. point, but they still know that, Hey, this person might need just a little bit extra help. Like, you know, this person might not need right now, like traditional therapy, right. Or could, or maybe this person can't afford that right now. Like there's, there's a lot of areas where um, I think peer to peer can, can definitely help. And a lot of the, the times, um, with the reactive approach that I was talking about, it tends to like uh, the funding tends to really needs to be focused on like, what, what are some resilience tools that we're really putting into society right now? Like what are some good habits that we're building, right? Um, as a collective that we don't go down a path of destruction basically. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, increased amount of suicide and all that stuff. Like uh, everything is getting more virtual. There is less human connection, you know, and everything tends to uh, get more and more stressful as a technol a technological age goes on. And I, and I do find like whether it's social media or whatnot, but like overall, like um, treating your, treating um, mental health in a proactive way and being able to get help, there I think is super key and, and is not being focused on enough. Hmm. So, you know, breaking down like the mental health things, uh, side of things, right? Like what is possible once we have like a large network here, a peer to peer network, right? Like, do you think that the value chain here is, uh, that is, uh, is novelty is like, being able to talk to different people, like an algorithm recommending, hey, you should talk to this person because of the, the type of things you're talking about, or is it connecting to the, to the same, like to the same person? You know, like it, you're trying to find that one person you can communicate with. Like, like what is the technological struggle there, right? So, when you have when you're trying to create a peer-to-peer -peer uh, support system, uh, there must be some kind of like 
way you're thinking about how to uh, connect people together, right? Um, is there any kind of intelligence going to that yet? Or is it just like a matchmaking service for now? Um, so we have the capability right now of having it be mm -hmm. um, the individual to basically choose if they want to speak to the same person again. Um, mm -hmm. And that really, like, uh, in clinical terms, increases continuity of care, um, which, you know, a lot of the services out there so far, which I am really thankful for, because, you know, the more support, the better. Um, a lot of the times it's, you know, running in and out, um, you know, with different people in the program um, is what I tend to find. And what ends up happening is that 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 connection, that humanistic approach tends to decrease with that. So mm -hmm. you have that ability for the client to be able to talk to the same person and um, be able to connect. Um, but when it comes to long term, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of things that uh, we have to think about when it comes to the technological aspect as we look towards building, um, you know, a tech platform um, from there. Because right now we're, we're, you know, not at that stage. We're super new. But um, yeah, that's definitely something that we find that it increases the ability for the client to want to return when they find somebody that they had that human connection with. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So peer to peer, like everyone's kind of connecting, like there's services like, um, I think it's called Omegle. That uh, it's like a it's like a it's like a system. It's like you go online and you you press the space bar and you just randomly randomly it connects you to random people. And this is one of the greatest experiments because it it leads to like hilarious or sometimes awkward, sometimes horrifying interactions. That a lot of people capture and create content about, right? Um, and and this kind of discovery tool is really, really interesting because oftentimes the best things is you're meeting somebody that are is completely out of the social circle you're in. That like, you know, living in a completely different reality, uh, maybe even have a complete worldview or outlook on life or just, uh, you know, just just have such a, a, a different outlook in life. Right. Like just because of how they have the, the environment they're in. So this kind of discovery uh, that uh, it's possible because because of, uh, of like online tools like this gets interesting. Um, you know, you ever seen like those like uh, Coke commercials where they put up a screen and like in like Bangladesh and like in like Pakistan and India and like people just walking in the street can just wave at each other and, and communicate right like yeah. these kind of technologies have kind of been like like been experimented on on how to bind people uh but like you know like what do you draw inspiration from like any tools that stand out to you that like did it right in some certain ways in way in ways of connecting people um that's a great question when it comes to any tool specifically um well, uh, funny enough, I know this is going to sound hilarious, but um, I think that um, as of recent and especially during COVID-19, there's a couple of like technological connecting tools that, you know, really hit the market that really flourished. And one of them is TikTok and mm -hmm. um, the other one is Clubhouse. Um, I am specifically talking about TikTok and I think this this. The thing that, um, you know, no one noticed or, or 
maybe perhaps didn't realize is that uh, Instagram ended up being a connecting tool that ended up being very micromanaged and very putting out only the good side of yourself and the that entity right and what ended up happening with TikTok is they it, it was it just became more authentic now like mm. people are talking about their mental health on it people are talking about you know, um, politics or struggles like that. Like people are looking at the rainy days as well as the, you know, uh, the, the bright days. So I think from that aspect, um, that, um, transparency and authenticness. And when, even when it comes to clubhouse, like there has to be some sort of authenticity. And mm. that's what I really draw from. I, I draw to really truly be like super authentic with what I do. And that's why I, I, start with sharing my story because um it, it just like it just really has to shine through that I was in there and now I'm here and I'm trying to do this um only because I truly feel passionate about it you know I really truly feel that um mental health is something that gets really neglected and um from a from a physician side of things that there's more that can help them that um isn't just directed with all the things that we mm. have right now yeah no definitely so let's talk about like how this thing um evolves right how does it um you know how does like uh, like the, how does this how does the tool look like in like perfect form uh what, what can be what, what's possible here when it comes to mental health and how technology can be utilized yeah. Um, yeah. So I think like in an ideal world, if I'm talking about the perfect fuel talk tool, um, it would essentially be that um, proactive space that, you know, individuals would lean towards um, and having it a part of your daily life. So we're talking about the one on one sessions, but there's also um, workshops that we're in development um, for. And these workshops are resilience based, um, you know, tools that they can use in their, you know, daily lives. So uh, it, it would look more of um, like what we're headed towards is having mental and emotional wellness workshops along with aftercare programs be integrated into um, underserved populations as well um, with, when it comes to rural as we know rural doesn't have enough support out there and to to get uh, technology to access uh, in, in the rural areas and also um, accessibility for individuals that don't have that technology edge right so there, there's a couple areas that you know we're we're trying to trying to dive into to to focus on those things, um, and and then eventually like down down the road like I would say um, just have a platform along with you know all these workshops and everything on the side, but a platform that um, can connect even to um, a space and uh, of areas around the community that can help mm. and save spaces. So this is what, um, you know, it, but it all starts and it all, it all, uh, it all really starts from that, that authentic view. And, and once again, it, it really, it has to be that fine definition between, you know, um, Hey, this is just a wellness tool. And then, Hey, this is, we're trying to really change things here. You know what I mean? 
Like there's mm. like being in the system and doing all the things from the in- internal aspect of it. And obviously not having much business background, um, which yeah. I thank my team for, which, you know, they're, they have an amazing team in this space. And, and I think, um, being able to bridge that along with my vision and, you know, everything that we're trying to do, but realizing that there's, there's steps to this and, and I understand that and where, you know, at the beginning, but, um, there's definitely a long way to go, but we've definitely been able to make larger strides probably because of the timing. Hmm. So, um, talking about the timing and, and talking about, uh, moving forward, um, one of the one of the things we we, we commonly talk about uh, on this podcast is uh, the idea of da- data and how it can be utilized, um, you know, either for us or against us, right? And when we talk about uh, especially this kind of uh, the, the communication that happens uh, that could, that happens in this kind of platform, uh, you know, you're mentioning, it's it's very um, highly uh, personal. It's highly uh, it needs to be highly securitized, of course, but it's also highly valuable. You know, you, you know, you're getting insight into a lot of different people, and if we can build a, a way of interacting with the data in a very transparent way, I think there is a lot of a lot of opportunity to to build intelligences uh, against that, right? So, for instance, like you know, um, just like the Apple Watch, you know, listens to the how you know the magnetic changes in your in your skin and knows how your heart uh, health is uh, is performing and can predict like 15 minutes before you have a heart attack uh there's there are algorithms out there that can like analyze uh, us and individually in different ways uh there's like algorithms that can listen into uh your voice for instance and can predict the the amount of testosterone that you know flows through your blood um there's algorithms that can you know watch like a, a complete uh, a video clip a 30 second video clip uh on mute with no words being said and just watching body language can determine if uh, how uh, if a couple will break up within the year or not with a high degree of accuracy because it can learn to look for like small cues and in body language and things like that that we are not be conscious of but the machines can pick up uh, patterns in so the idea of what comes to be is that uh, we now have this capability to like almost mine individuals for different insights where a machine layer can, uh, or layers of machines can like analyze you from different aspects and how can have predictive results on uh, how you would re- respond to things or better yet, give you personal insights on like what you're actually feeling. You know, like those mood rings back in the seventies and eighties that were really familiar that tell you, Hey, what mood do you feel? Right. These things will be like, uh, could be highly accurately tell you what's going on. Uh, you know, you know, how, you know, like if you're like unhappy, upset, but why you're up to unhappy and upset, like, or like just tell you that you're being toxic to people around you. Like, do you ever think about like how, like, you know, this data set could be utilized for the individuals? Yeah. So, um, you know, coming from a more, uh, how do I say this, uh, the educational side of things, I definitely did think of, you know, the data being used for, for research purposes. And that's one aspect that I, that I did think of when it comes to the tech, um, the tech stuff, something that I need to, you know, dive deeper into for sure. Um, but also, uh, something that, cause we did, uh, start looking at some app developers, um, when it comes to these things. And I think one thing that, um, I was trying to veer away from a tad bit was, um, Realizing that when you 
create, um, you know, something like that, that ends up being like a point based like algorithm um, of how you're doing, then it ends up like there, there's a fine line between um, having that negatively impact the person as well. Now, I think with a lot of social platforms, I think they're realizing now how that's like been detrimental to mental health overall. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that is something that I did play around with. But um, as of right now, I was leaning towards the aspect of how is this going to be possible without having that gamified system knock the person and make them feel worse about themselves. Right. So that that's the whole thing that needs to be kind of figured out, because there's points in time, you know, from lived experience where um, there, there isn't going to be a week or two weeks or I don't know how long where much is going to get done. Right. And during that time, like sometimes time is needed as well. Um, and having tools like that, I guess it could be like stage based on depending on what like how the person is, like what stage they're at. But yeah, we just don't want them to feel worse about themselves um, with any with any tool algorithm uh, data here. Mm. Cool. Um, Sorry to interrupt you. It's like the same thing with likes, like for example, mm. right? likes or retweets. Okay. We're talking about likes and people like literally feeling really bad about themselves unless like they get those X amount of likes, right? Which is supposed to be a positive incentive for someone to do. And now it's, there's an extreme like negative impact on that, right? And um, so, so what's like what's been the pivot in that aspect? The pivot has been the individuals are just highly modifying them. Themselves <laughs> to a point where they're just meeting some unrealistic expectation of their own selves and posting it right and same thing with twitter what's the in the retweet has happened like what what implicated that the implicated that is like what's going to get the most reaction so we're talking about um you know saying outrageous things to get high levels of retweets and we're just now on a battlefield <laughs> but um yeah those are just it's just a learning uh, perspective from a mental health side um when it comes to when it comes to apps for sure yeah i mean i mean on, on the flip side um those same kind of recommender engines and, and likes engines uh recommend things that you're into and can possibly inter interact with you right so one of the things is that if you curate what you're liking. And uh, if you tried looking at the algorithm as a company you train, right? Mm -hmm. Suddenly you can build a profile that works for you. You know, uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, people sometimes have uh, different profiles on like, uh, for instance, on, on, on Gmail, right? Different Gmail accounts. Mm -hmm. So uh, Google's really good at this. Like you can have one, uh, one account meant for like, you know, if you, uh, for like real estate and thinking about real estate and another profile uh, you, you make is like, okay, this is what you use to like, uh, you know, send out a personal stuff and uh, interact with things. Another thing for work. And, uh, you know, once you switch your profile, everything on from your emails to your YouTube to, uh, to uh, how you search, like on, on, on your search browser history, all the kind of stuff flips over, right? Mm -hmm. And there's some people who've gotten really good at creating, making sure they use a certain profiles for certain things. So the algorithm trained uh, to provide information or insights or things based off of what they're done. And I think this is a really interesting concept, right? The idea of atomizing yourself, of breaking things down of what you want and, and uh, you know, training uh, machines to work for you. Um, 
it's not something we talk about. It's not something we're training people for. Only very few people are intuitively kind of grasping this because they're like hyper effectiveness. They're they're chasing that productivity gap, right? And uh, trying to get better. And then uh, they they see this for the tool they are. Whereas the vast majority of people are like consumers who just get utilized by it. You know, the algorithm is just running and they're not thinking about it. They're just kind of in the flow with it and therefore like, you know, almost being consumed by it, right? So there's this consumer class, like, you know, almost falls like a power rule, right? 80%, 20%, 80% are people are just kind of going through with the algorithm and 20% are trying to be productive and use the algorithms for like as tools that they see it. So how do you, how do we shift ourselves to be like, okay, how do we, these machine, these tools, these, uh, these, uh, these programs, these softwares, this hardware, all this stuff are tools and we ourselves need to be strong from within. Right. I think it's, it's more of a classic, like, uh, individuals, almost like, almost like a spiritual kind of sense rather than a, uh, anti technology kind of sense. Right. How do we become more conscious of ourselves and understanding of ourselves? And how do we spread that kind of knowledge, especially in like a fractured world where no one's meeting up, right? Through, uh, through an online space. Have you ever thought about that? Like mental wellness? Yeah. So, you know, under the mental wellness umbrella, I feel, um, this is a big thing that I think that really gets neglected by, you know, the medical community. And I think that's, we probably heard this, uh, you know, from others as well. Um, Things do get outdated sometimes and we have to just kind of keep up with the times when it comes to, you know, medical treatments. And also, um, you know, one thing that really I did not connect with at all is that, um, one thing heals all type of perspective, um, you know, from, from that side of things. And that's something where I was always that avid person to kind of, um, entertain other things to help with wellness, right? Like if somebody comes to me and tells me that, Hey, um, and this is a, this is an exact example. When I was doing an observership at a, a, one of the best universities that we have, um, you know, somebody comes up and would like to run some of the, the, the lab work that their naturopath had suggested, right? So automatically from a physician's perspective, it's like, no, no, no. Right. Um, but at that point, I'm the type of person that um, I like to deal with um, the human body from an overall perspective of all things, you know, mind, body, soul. And I think that to adequately like heal a person, um, it's not going to work just with one thing, especially when it comes to mental health. And if somebody is going to get advantages from other things in the wellness space, whether that's meditation, whether that's praying, whether that's deep breathing exercises, whether it's yoga, all these things need and can be, um, you know, integrated a little bit better than they are now. Um, it shouldn't be like, Hey, I don't want to look at this naturopathic report. The first thing I see is vitamin D. It could look literally click in my mind that, yeah, okay. This person does might probably have vitamin D deficiency and might as well check that because we, as we know in Canada, that's like one of the biggest, biggest, um, deficiencies that we have. So, 
I like um, really looking at the human body from an overall approach. And I think that introducing wellness techniques into our mental mental health game is is the only way to go, especially right now. Um, coming from uh, millennial, coming from younger generations, like the, the Gen Z, Gen X, like nobody is conforming to that one thing fits all anymore you know um and that's a lot of a lot of the feedback that um that i get from this crowd and i don't know how you feel about that um in general just uh you know the wellness space and kind of like augmenting the mental health space yeah i mean i think it's it's a really interesting uh thoughts because like there's a lot uh, there to be done uh and to be honest that's possible already um just before you know the podcast just just before you uh we had a we had um stephanie come in uh she runs a a large agency on that is social intelligence you know working with uh, social tools those social platforms and building uh intelligence on like consumer patterns and how people uh, behave and, and interact intersect and you know the, what is possible now it, it's so confident like the the fact that is like uh, we're we're able to have predict how people behave and intera- interact in such a high way, but it's all being used to run ads, ad driven platforms, yeah. you know. And it's it's such a waste if you think about it, right? Like our top minds are working within the top companies, all driven into like how to uh, you know almost exploitatively look at people of how to drive consumer behavior. Whereas if you were to open up the system and allow that data to be, um, you know, uh, individualized and containerized to a point where one, it's available to the individual, but two, it's also securitized and you give the people, people that control over uh, the data being collected on them, they would actually go out of the way to, uh, you know, almost fill the pot more. And I think we could have like this richer, you create a digital replica of real world objects. It, it, it uses often in engineering, but now we're looking at from the individual level, right? Imagine if you can get all, as much data as possible from a good person, you know, how the online search history to how they communicate to their people, to what they say, uh, to their text messages, to their to health conditions and all those data sources coming in. You can create a pretty predictable model of how a person interacts and goes throughout the world. The Google Maps history of where how they inter- uh, you know go around. And the scary thing is, uh, there, are, there are companies compiling this right. There is a huge data marketplace happening out there, and it's all being yeah. used for consumerism. Whereas, imagine you know in a world where that could be utilized to be like, okay, give predictive kind of patterns of like, hey, you know, your health rate is you know at risk here, you know, you're close to burning out. Um, you know, if you if you were to do this or change your diet to this, it would help you in this kind of way, run better or like operate more cleaner, like sleep a little bit easier, right? Um, you know, one of the uh, I'm not sure um, which background, but like you know, I, I grew up in a non-religious household, and I'm like slowly connecting with like hinduism over this idea of like of 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 of, of well-being um you know when i was a kid like um we when i was uh when i was in high school as a family we ended up actually going to a an ashram in in in, uh, in um in montreal and it was really interesting i didn't realize the significance of it i actually met the chief vision officer of google there 
he was on a retreat and he and uh we, like i was like supposed to see this meditation space i hated it i was a teenager i'm like why am i here uh but like you know it was uh, i was sitting there you know uh, and uh, the person next to me ended up being like a a, a senior uh, you know c-level executive at google and he was telling me about how like these kind of places help him kind of like refracture and reset right get away from technology understand uh, you know his place and his direction in life because his whole uh, whole mission is to communicate uh, Google's vision, right, uh, to externally, right, and uh, this helps them ground them and all that. And it was only years later I thought about this and thought about like you know how Silicon Valley and how these technology performers like they go through the compression cycles, they take their time to kind of remove themselves, and a lot of that comes from the you know the Hinduist, Buddhist, Taoist kind of thinking of like I, I think of self and thinking of uh, yourself as a tool that you need to like reflect on, perfect, and uh, create environments around. Even these ideas of like taking religious fasts are like around the idea of changing your diet. Like we have realized this recently is that it's not about going on a keto diet or going on a paleo diet, right? Uh, or being vegan. Like we notice, like the, 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 the boost and benefits actually happen in the, in the beginning of a diet, but then rapidly die off as you continue in the, di- in the diet. And it's, it's seen that changing your diet uh, once in a while actually resets your body and detoxifies it and changes the bacteria that, uh, you know, co-live uh, co- with inside of us and things like that. So like, these kind of ideas that were in like these more more ancient cultures are now being like rediscovered and repracticed. I find that really interesting, right? And I think about this. It's like how do we use uh, more uh, tools um, to collectively, uh, you know, push us into like good behaviors or like set rule sets for ourselves, principles that we can reflect on, right? Like if you know, just like we have calorie counters and and like these food loggers and things like that. Like what else can we utilize technology for to like better ourselves to to uh, to have other uh, to have more intelligent systems make thinking about how to make ourselves better and more effective and you know if we can do that in a wide scale mask you know how effective how much more productive a society could we be yeah so you you talked about a lot of great things did not know that it was definitely going to go in this direction but it's um something that i'm really comfortable talking about because um you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up Hindu, but I, I did grow up Sikh. And, um, you know, along my mental health journey, if someone were to ask the one thing that helped me the most was actually connecting, um, spiritually, uh, to, you know, um, uh, basically just having that praying aspect in my life that I didn't have before that, that deeper connection. And I think, um, you know, as society has moved um, forward, um, a lot of the times back in the day, if we really think about it, um, religion was used mm-hmm. as that morale uh, uh, crutch, right, for us to lean on, um, whether it comes to good behaviors um, in, in a, as a, uh, like a person in society, but also good behaviors at home, like the interactions that you have with your family. Um, when you uh, interact, uh, pa- having patience with your child, like there's, you know, and there's a, also mm-hmm. a factor of detachment in a healthy way where you're not really attached to anything, right? In the sense where um, then social media or 
um, a, a fight with a family member or intensity at work won't have that same effect on you, right? And yeah, how do we get back to that point? I think that, um, you know, as society moves away from, you know, leaning on that, um, I do find that there is like having like checking out and having those like moments to yourself and using whatever works for you in that aspect really overall helps your productivity. Like if you're going to be stressed out for seven days a week versus doing six days and really focusing on yourself on the seventh, like that is definitely going to help your productivity as a society. So when we talk about um, productivity, definitely it will go up, but also the interactions that you have in your life, um, those will all be just a lot more fulfilling and um, less chaotic, I, I feel. And, you know, a lot of the things that are weaved into mm. the workshops are, are, you know, skills for like listening. Like when you're talking to someone, are you really uh, talking to them when you're listening? Are you really listening or are you just listening to answer? their question you know um active listening is um something that really is is weaved in and also um aspects about validation and how we can like properly validate individuals and and try not to take things personally in that aspect as well like if you know um a lot of the things a lot of these like techniques they are not um as widely like integrated but these techniques when you have interactions with your coworkers or your family or your children or anyone in your life they just have you're, you're just going to have a better human mm -hmm. experience and who yeah. would want to have that you know um Rav, like uh, i really enjoy this conversation because it's not too much that we talk about the intersection of technology and and mental health we talk about uh, a lot about technology here more from like um you know the different angles of founders that come in but this has been really uh uh, really, really uh, interesting one. So I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your time and I appreciate your candor in talking about uh, uh, your journey and how it's translated to your project. Um, you know, I'd love to, uh, you know, get get more updates as you continue your, your, your journey into this. Uh, you know, we love having people come in like uh, as a repeat guest, like every six months or so, give them an update on things. This is something that uh, 100% I want to see how it evolves. Because I think there's a lot you can do with this, a lot of positive good, especially in a peer-to-peer -peer system that doesn't have to be bogged down by... Um, the regulations that happens with with therapists, right? When you create it more peer to peer, there's a lot of creative license and freedom you can do to uh, uh, to implement new solutions. So I'm excited to see uh, you know what uh, what you come up with. All right, thank you so much for having me on, and yeah, I would definitely love to you know uh, keep you updated uh, as this journey continues. <laughs>